Sit back. What NFC East quarterback? Relax. In the movie Ocean's Eleven. Put on your think cap. What prized possession did Danny Ocean get ready for the show? In chemistry, what is the name of the principal? And here's your host. During what year was the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Kevin. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of Think Cap. My name is Kevin, and I'm going to be your host. Now, some of you may know me from my weekly trivia nights that I host. For those of you who do not, I have been hosting trivia nights for the past two years. I have a mechanical engineering degree, and I generally just enjoy learning about the wonders of this crazy world that we live in. Uh, I know everybody, just like myself, has been quarantined, and if you're listening to this, I'm going to assume that you have not been able to attend your favorite pub trivia nights that you're used to going to on a weekly basis. Hopefully ThinkCap will become your go-to podcast to supplement your trivia knowledge as we wait for the country to open back up again and allow us to go out to these events and bars that we so rightly miss. So let me tell you how this podcast is going to work. At the beginning of the show, I will pose a couple trivia questions to you and give you a few moments to think of your answers. Then, I will go through each question one by one and give you the answer and the history or data or even just the fun facts behind the answer. So this isn't your standard trivia outfit that just gives you a question and an answer and that's it. I'm going to give you a quick breakdown that will hopefully tickle all your curious minds out there while hopefully also entertaining you with my banter. Uh, my hope is that by listening to my podcast, you will be able to gain some knowledge to impress your friends about not just a single question, but about different details surrounding that question. I consider myself a general trivia show. I ask questions pertaining to sports, music, history, geography, movies, and even memes. You never know what you're gonna get. So, with that being said, let me once again introduce you to the Think Cap show. I welcome you and thank you for listening. And let's get this show started. Alright, so like I said, I'm going to ask you guys a couple of questions. Uh, For our first show this week, we have 10 questions total. Um, I'll give you, I'll read each question twice and give you a couple moments to think about the answer and then uh, move on to the next question. And then once I'm done reading all of those, I will go back and one by one go through each question, give you the answer, and then break it down a little bit. So with that being said, let's get started with our first question. Uh, Question number one tonight, produced from 2000 to 2010, the Chrysler PT Cruiser's PT originally stood for Plymouth Truck. Once the Plymouth brand was dropped, the meaning of PT was changed to what? Once again, produced from 2000 to 2010, the Chrysler PT Cruiser's PT originally stood for Plymouth Truck. Once the Plymouth brand was dropped, the meaning of PT was changed to what? Question number two. Any creature that lacks pigmentation in its skin or hair is referred to as what? One more time. Any creature that lacks pigmentation in its skin or hair is referred to as what? Question number three. Developed in 1949, what vehicular device is used to clean and smooth the surfaces of ice rinks? 
One more time. Developed in 1949, what vehicular device is used to clean and smooth the surfaces of ice rinks? Next question. What medical practice involves burning a part of a patient's body in order to mitigate bleeding? One more time. What medical practice involves burning a part of a patient's body in order to mitigate bleeding. Question number five, what US amendment to the Constitution ended prohibition? One more time, what US amendment to the Constitution ended prohibition? Question number six, in marriage, what anniversary is traditionally known as the silver anniversary. Once again, in marriage, what anniversary is traditionally known as the silver anniversary? Next question, Charles Darrow based what famous game off the 1904 Landlord game? One more time, Charles Darrow based what famous game off of the 1904 Landlord game? Question number eight. En route to the franchise's first Super Bowl victory over the Denver Broncos, what Seattle Seahawks player earned the honor of game MVP? One more time, en route to the franchise's first Super Bowl victory over the Denver Broncos, what Seattle Seahawks player earned the honor of game MVP? Question number nine. What popular Western food is banned in Singapore because of its propensity to be littered? One more time. What popular Western food is banned in Singapore because of its propensity to be littered? And our last question here for you, elephants have over 40,000 of what in their trunks? One more time, elephants have over 40,000 of what in their trunks? All right, so now that you have uh, listened to me read all of those questions there for you and I've given you a moment to think about them, let's start going through these answers and uh, hopefully you guys are going to learn a little something here. So the first question... Well, I'll read it once again. Produced from 2000 to 2010, the Chrysler PT Cruiser's PT originally stood for Plymouth Truck. Once the Plymouth brand was dropped, the meaning of PT was changed to what? And your correct answer is personal transport. Personal transport is the right answer. And you know, this one's actually pretty interesting. It was actually the first trivia question I ever asked so I thought it would be a worthy topic for my first podcast question as well. Uh, I think pretty much everybody who graduated high school in the last 15 to 20 years has known someone who drove a PT Cruiser. They were produced uh, for about 10 years and were wildly successful, partly because they were reliable vehicles and partly because of their you know bubbly, unique looks. I, every, every person knows what one of these things looks like. But um, let me briefly take you back in time here. The first Plymouth automobile was actually introduced in July on July 7th of 1928. It was Chrysler's attempt at an entry into the lower price field to compete with the likes of Chevy and Ford. 
Um, the Plymouth brand itself can actually be credited as saving the Chrysler Corporation uh, because of the lower price point was enticing enough to keep the company afloat during the Great Depression, uh, which was in 1930, where many other car companies failed. And, you know, they were really lucky to introduce uh, the Plymouth brand just a couple of years before uh, a really historically tough economic time, obviously. Um, so then, you know, Plymouth, after a few successful decades, we're going to fast forward to the 1970s. Uh, many of Plymouth's vehicles share features, share price points with the likes of Dodge, Eagles, Mitsubishi models. And, you know, this didn't really do well for the brand itself. It resulted in kind of the slow decay of its popularity and it became similar to everything else. So it really lost its, uh, its singular identity, uh, if you know what that means. And it ended up by the 1990s, Plymouth only really had four different models on the market. Now, enter the idea of our beloved PT Cruiser. As stated in the trivia question, the PT was originally supposed to stand for Plymouth Truck. However, based on the discontinuation of the Plymouth brand, the PT Cruiser was unveiled, yet they decided to change the meaning of PT to the rather innocuous personal transport. Uh, Brian Nesbitt was actually the designer of the car, and his goal was to evoke the look of an old gangster getaway car like you would see in the 1930s or in Street Racer. And that's exactly the look it accomplished, and it was wildly popular in the United States. Uh, over 1 million units were sold over its uh, brief existence, which is fascinating for a car as unique as the PT Cruiser was. It really makes you wonder if uh, Chrysler had stuck it out and released the car under the Plymouth brand like originally planned, if the Plymouth truck could have saved the Plymouth brand on its own, much like Plymouth saved Chrysler itself about 90 years prior. Alright, our second question of the night was, any creature that lacks pigmentation in its skin or hair is referred to as what? And your correct answer, an animal without any pigmentation is referred to as an albino. Albinism is the term that is used to describe those types of creatures. And you know, actually, 1 in 20,000 people have albinism. It's, it's pretty fascinating. In the wild, albino, albino animals tend to have significantly shorter lifespans. Uh, it makes them pretty uh, rare to find uh, in, in their adult forms. For example, the average lifespan of an albino alligator is only about 24 hours. Uh, they lack protection from UV rays, and alligators obviously spend a lot of time basking in the sun, and they have no natural camouflage. Uh, so when they're kind of hiding in those murky waters, they, they will stick out like sore thumbs, and predators, it makes them real easy to, uh, to be spotted. Um, and it's inter interesting too with rodents. For whatever reason, there's a correlation between rodents that are albinos and rodents that have hearing loss or a lack of hearing. Um, so scientists aren't exactly sure why that is the case, but that's a pretty interesting correlation there that you wouldn't think on the surface would relate. Um, plants can actually have uh, a form of albinism as well, uh, but instead of lacking melanin as humans or other animals do, they actually lack chlorophyll. Um, and you know, these types of plants are going to be rare as well. Uh, because they have less chlorophyll, they aren't able to absorb as much sunlight and thus have a much lower chance of surviving in the wild. Um, this is another one I assume much people, everyone probably got that one right in their heads. Um, but it actually is, it's just interesting to kind of think about it a little bit deeper and uh, learn a little bit about 
the struggles that not just people have uh, from a social bias, but that animals in the wild that they actually are pretty rare because they typically don't survive. We rely on our pigmentation a lot, way more than you would think. And that brings us to our third question of the evening. The question was, developed in 1949, what vehicular device is used to clean and smooth the surfaces of ice rinks? And this is another one that everybody's probably familiar with. And although the technical name is an ice resurfacer, everyone knows it by the inventor's name, which was Zamboni. Now, Frank Zamboni, he worked in an auto repair shop in Southern California and later opened an electric service business that specialized in building and installing large refrigeration units. Uh, they then went on to work on making block ice, but as refrigeration technology advanced, that became less and less of a feasible business model. So what uh, Mr. Zamboni did was he took advantage of figure skating's growing popularity and paired that with his knowledge in re refrigeration and ice keeping and opened a skating rink in Paramount, California in the year 1939. After laboring for years and taking hours at a time cleaning the ice, Zamboni decided that there had to be a better way to do this. So, he's a pretty smart guy, he used surplus parts from, get this, wartime machinery, and he completed his first prototype in 1949, 10 years after he opened his ice rink. And believe it or not, his machine actually hasn't changed all that much over time. The Zambonis that Mr. Zamboni designed and used they pretty much look and function the same as they did back in 1949. And that's pretty crazy when you think about it. Not that much technology is that durable and lasting uh, design-wise that it doesn't have these vast and sweeping improvements. So uh, it speaks a little bit to Mr. Zamboni's genius. And it obviously caught on in figure skating and hockey as designed. Uh, the first NHL team to use a Zamboni was the Boston Bruins in their 1954 season. And as I said, clearly many teams followed suit. Uh, Zamboni the, as a company has produced over 10,000 machines and still spit out over 200 machines per year. Now, although there have been Zamboni accidents, their drivers have given us some great memories over the years. Most notedly, just a couple of months ago when David Ayers, the Toronto Maple Leafs minor league affiliates Zamboni driver, stepped in as the emergency goalie for the Carolina Hurricanes and actually beat his hometown Maple Leafs. And that is a fascinating story just to begin with, but if you want to relate it to the fact that this guy has a day job, will drive the Zambonis for the Maple Leafs team, then he was just sitting there watching the game and had to step in to play against his beloved hometown Leafs, let alone getting in there and stopping enough shots to win the game. It's fascinating hats off to Mr. Ayers obviously he's a legend in Carolina and probably in Toronto as well and another one a little bit lesser known it was a little bit longer ago there was a time when two employees drove a Zamboni out onto the street in Boise Idaho and went through a drive-in of their local Burger King they must have had some expiring coops to the BK lounge or something because that's the only way I could explain getting out there in a Zamboni but what a sight that must have been if you're just passerby on the street or if you're working that BK Lounge drive-thru and you look out your window and see a Zamboni sitting there at you. That's, uh, that had to be quite the scene there. Um, and all, the last thing I'll say about Zambonis, famous Peanuts character Charlie Brown. Everyone knows Charlie Brown. He once said, 
A Zamboni clearing the ice is one of the three things in life that people like to stare at, along with a crackling fire and a flowing stream. And while I can't tell you why that is, I think I can confidently say that each and every one of us has been fascinated by a Zamboni driving around, around the ice and can definitely agree with Charlie Brown on that one. All right, and our fourth question, the question was, what medical practice involves burning a part of a patient's body in order to mitigate bleeding? And your correct answer is cauterization. Now, cautery is primarily used to prevent extreme loss of blood or to close amputations. Um, Historically, it was believed to actually prevent infection. Uh, Back in the day, they thought it would help uh, burn away the bacteria or what have you. Uh, But with the help of modern research, we now know that it actually creates a more hospitable environment for bacteria to grow. So I'm sure there were many people uh, over pretty much the course of human history that, one, had the misfortune of losing a couple limbs, and two, probably had the misfortune of having a bacterial infection as a result of their uh, medical practice there. Uh, It is an extremely old practice. With that being said, there's a mention of it on the Edwin Smith Papyrus, which is an ancient Egyptian medical text dated between 1600 and 2500 BC, as well as the Hippocratic Corpus, which is a collection of ancient Greek texts dating back to the 5th century BC. So, I mean, as I just said, there were thousands and millions of people who, over the course of humanity, modern humanity that is, have uh, have had limbs cauterized. Um, probably in some pretty grotesque ways. Uh, They use very crude forms of the practice, like just heating blades and pressing them against open wounds. I imagine it had to be quite painful back in the day, and I'm very glad that medicine has improved since. Um, When deemed necessary, luckily we now either use electrical or chemical cauterization, which is a lot cleaner, uh, a lot safer. And in addition, we also have a technique called ligature, which is used just to close off the arteries instead of uh, an entire open wound. It'll just cut off the arteries to stop the bleeding. All right, question number five. Question number five had to do with a little bit of United States history. The question was, what U.S. amendment to the Constitution ended prohibition? And your correct answer is the 21st Amendment, Amendment number 21. And, you know, the movement for prohibition of alcohol began early in the 19th century uh, with some Americans, rightfully so, I guess, concerned about the adverse effects of alcohol. Um, As momentum grew, a formal amendment was written out and discussed by our national government. Um, Believe it or not, there were a lot of people who were behind this as uh, prevalent as alcohol is in our society now. Um, I think we can all admit that it definitely has some uh, negative side effects. But eventually, Utah became the 36th state to ratify the amendment, which achieved the three-fourths of the state's um, approval necessary to pass the amendment. So Utah was the one that uh, ultimately got that last signature that made this thing happen. Um, And when they did that, the 21st Amendment went into effect on January 17th of 1920. Congress then passed the Volstead Act, which allowed for federal enforcement of prohibition to shut down the hundreds of bootleggers who were still producing booze. Um, However, I mean, as thirsty Americans were not to be denied their alcohol, much like modern days, 
people are not going to be denied the drugs that they choose to use. There's always going to be a market for these things. As long as there are things out there that are illegal, there are unfortunately going to be people who would like them. So illegal bootlegging operations sprung up and allowed criminals such as Al Capone in Chicago to build entire criminal empires on the sales of their moonshine. Now, eventually the government realized that the enforcement of this amendment was a pretty futile act and that the government was literally missing out on billions of dollars in tax revenue. So in 1933, the 21st Amendment was passed and ratified, which ended prohibition. Now, not all states ended their prohibitions, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess on your opinion on the matter, but Mississippi was actually the last state to completely give in, and they didn't repeal their temperance laws until 1966. I know that doesn't seem like that all that long ago, but believe it or not, Mississippi, 1966, the last state to get rid of prohibition in the United States. And our next question. This is a little quickie. In marriage, what anniversary is traditionally known as the silver anniversary? And your correct answer is the 25th anniversary. Number 25 is the right answer. Um, you know, the silver anniversary is actually one of the oldest traditional wedding gifts that we have in our society. The, uh, the historic origins of this gift date all the way back to the Holy Roman Empire where a husband would crown their wife with a silver wreath on their 25th anniversary. And likewise, if the couple were to make it to their 50th anniversary, the wife would be adorned with a wreath of gold in celebration. Now, later in the 20th century, with the rise of commercialism, uh, it led to more anniversaries being represented by specific gifts. But, I mean, for now, I'm going to forego the, the history lesson on capitalist America and uh, move on to our next question. All right, question number seven now. Question number seven, it was, a, it was a game question. Charles Darrow based what famous game off the 1904 Landlord game? And your correct answer, as many of you I'm sure guessed, is Monopoly. Now, the story behind Monopoly is actually a little bit deeper than you might think. I mean, it, it's a pretty complicated game, so you would assume that it comes from pretty complicated roots. Um... But as the question stated, it was based off of a game called The Landlord Game, which was a game uh, made by Lizzie McGee, and it was a patented realty and taxation game which was developed with the intention of educating users about Georgism. Now, Miss McGee was a Quaker, she was a real tradition traditionalist, and she believed heavily in the concept of Georgism. You're probably wondering what Georgism is, and honestly, I was wondering the exact same thing. Uh, Georgium is an economic ideology that says people should own the value that they produce themselves, i.e. goods and services, while economic value derived from the land itself, including natural resources and natural opportunities that arise from the land that you live on, should belong equally to all members of society. Um, that basically means that it, you don't get taxed on the goods and services that you produce yourself, whereas anything coming from the land or the land that you live on will be taxed. Um, now, the name Georgism was derived from its creator's name, who was named Henry George. George was an American economist and social reformer from Philadelphia. Uh, one of his biggest concerns was the distribution of economic rent, which was caused by land grabbing and natural monopolies. 
For this reason, he believed that the single tax people should incur is property tax, so that the land and its resources could be more evenly distributed, distributed excuse me, amongst those who inhabit it. Um, Miss McGee's landlord game was developed in Arden, Delaware, which actually used the single tax Georgia system to this day. The only tax on the citizens of the city were those on unimproved land and public created value, like roads, which were added to the land. The idea of the tax, based on a systemized assessment, would recover both the value of natural resources and public investment for the public, while not impeding labor and capital from profiting from their efforts. Uh, the system was actually so popular in Arden that the, the village expanded twice into Arden Town and Ardencroft, and all of those villages still run the single tax system to the day. And I highly recommend reading into these communities and the people who reside there. It's uh, really quite fascinating to learn about uh, their way of life a little bit. Um, who would have known that a game like Monopoly could have had so much historical backing? And it really makes you think about the economic system that we live in um, without getting too much into it. Where natural monopolies, although discouraged, very likely can occur. Question number eight now. Question eight is our first sports question of the podcast. I don't consider the Zamboni one a sports question. This one is really our first piece of real sports knowledge. And the question was as follows. En route to the franchise's first Super Bowl victory over the Denver Broncos, what Seattle Seahawks player earned the honor of game MVP? And your correct answer is outside linebacker Malcolm Smith. Now, Malcolm Smith was born in Woodland Hills, California. He attended USC before entering the 2011 draft. Um, he was drafted in the seventh round by the Seahawks, where, you guessed it, he was reunited with his coach from USC, Pete Carroll. Um, I know that was kind of a, one of Pete's early philosophies, was drafting a lot of USC players. He was a real players coach. He wanted guys that were familiar with him. He wanted to be familiar with the players. And clearly, it's been successful, as the Seahawks have been very well under his leadership. Um... Now, Smith was a backup outside linebacker on uh, this now legendary Seahawks Legion of Boom defense, uh, who predominantly played fill-in roles up until the 2013-2014 season, and it was actually in that season that he was named the starting weak side linebacker for the squad. Uh, the Seahawks, like I said, would go on to be very successful that year. Uh, they would go on to be 13-3, and and Smith recorded an interception of Colin Kaepernick in the NFC Championship game. Now, I think you all remember that play, right? On the play that the Niners tried Sherman with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, Richard Sherman tipped the ball up into the air, and who was there to make that pick? It was none other than Malcolm Smith. Go your ass home! 
So that's just a fun little piece of tidbit. Everyone remembers that play, obviously. Everyone remembers how huge it was for the Seahawks to clinch their spot in the Super Bowl. And you remember Richard Sherman making the play because of his loudmouth antics uh, directly afterwards. But that's another thing you have to consider. If Smith wasn't there to make that interception, the 49ers might have had another shot at that Super Bowl. Now, speaking of the Super Bowl, on a cold February night in 2014... Smith's playmaking did not halt. Super Bowl 48, the Seahawks versus the Broncos. Now, I was actually at that Super Bowl, and I can tell you that when that first snap went over Peyton Manning's head and out the back of the end zone, it was the absolute loudest, the loudest that I have ever heard a football stadium. I knew instantly that the Seahawks were going to win that game. They really, those 12s out there, the 12th man, they call those Seattle fans, they are loud. That is no joke. And MetLife was erupting at that moment. Um, You know, I can go into that story another time on another podcast. But as you know, the Seahawks defense put up a dominant performance in that game, leaving most viewers to say that the 43-8 route was simply a boring game. Um, Now, having been in attendance, I tend to disagree. But Malcolm Smith's performance is, that's the only thing we're worried about here uh, right now. The outside linebacker had a fumble recovery and an interception for a touchdown in the game, and it was only fitting that a relatively unknown player won MVP, as the game was truly a spectacular performance from the entire defensive unit, and had he not made those standout plays, I would say just about anyone could have been awarded the trophy, and not many people would complain that that the defense side of the ball gets the MVP. And our second to last question here of the night, this one was about international food the question was what popular western food is banned in singapore because of its propensity to be littered and your correct answer is chewing gum bubble gum now i mean this the the ban it includes all gum substances of vegetable or synthetic origin such as bubble gum dental chewing gum and it, it carries a hefty fine and a possible jail term for those who are caught importing, selling, or manufacturing chewing gum. It's pretty serious over there. They really don't want you chewing gum. And the main driver of the ban, it arose in the, the 1980s when vandals would actually stick chewing gum on the door sensors of their mass rapid transit trains, which caused the system to malfunction. And they had a lot of big issues with this to the point where... Clearly, they had to uh, make pretty extreme measures here. Uh, As far as I know, they're the only country to ban chewing gum, um, which is kind of bonkers to think about, but it's something they do, and they've had success with it. Um, But even more than just uh, their trains uh, malfunctioning, it eliminated the litter that you just see everywhere. I mean, think about how many times you've put your hand under a table and felt gum stuck under there. Uh, It's such an accepted phenomenon over here in the United States. You've even got foreigners from the North Pole just eating it off of handrails in New York City. I mean, it was reported that the government in Singapore was spending upwards of $150,000 alone on cleaning up bubblegum litter. Think about that. I mean, it's just everywhere. It's disgusting, and they don't really have that problem anymore. Um, The problem's all been all but been eradicated i mean like i said there's hefty fines or jail time for possessing or importing gum it's it's fairly serious the only lightning of the rule happened in 2004 when the country decided that it would be permissible to allow certain gums that have utility such as like a nicotine gum um that people are who are addicted to nicotine can kind of wean themselves off of but so i mean just take that as a word of warning if you're ever traveling to singapore don't try to uh throw that trident in your in your backpack away otherwise you might be fine pretty heavily. 
And that brings us to our last question of the evening. Last question of the podcast. It was another animal question. Elephants have over 40,000 of what in their trunks? And your correct answer is muscles. Elephants have over 40,000 muscles in their trunk. Now, I mean, compare that to a human being. Humans have only 639 muscles in their entire body. So think about that one for a second. You know, employing all of these muscles, elephants have the ability to lift up to 770 pounds, which for reference is the size of an American buffalo. An elephant could just lift the buffalo right off the ground like it's nothing. That is fascinating to think about. Uh, using their trunks, elephants are actually the only animals on earth that have the ability to fully submerge themselves and naturally snorkel with absolutely no problems. So you always see videos of uh, maybe hippos kind of swimming with their noses sticking out of the water, but elephants are the only animal on earth that can just walk down under the bottom of the riverbed and have their nose sticking up like a snorkel. In addition to giving them superhero strength, elephant shrugs also act as extremely sensitive noses up to four times stronger than those of bloodhounds. There have also been reports of elephants studied that have been able to smell water from several miles away. Now, you pair that with the uh, the smart brain that a lot of elephants have. They're supposedly very intelligent animals. And, I mean, shoot, they can do all these things. They can lift all this stuff. They have crazy sense of smell. They can think. They can communicate well with their trunks, with the, the noises that they make. Elephants are pretty fascinating creatures. And um, it really just takes hearing uh, some information like that to really make you step back and kind of appreciate how cool... Not just elephants are, but pretty much all the animals on this earth are are pretty unique and fascinating in their own way. Now that brings us to the end of our show. If you have made it this far, I thank you for hanging out with me and I hope that you learned a little bit. Uh, I'll be releasing podcasts every week from here on out. So in order to stay in tune with what I'm releasing, you can follow ThinkCap at ThinkCap, T-H-I-N-K-K-A-P on Instagram. Uh, follow on Facebook with the same name or even listen on YouTube. There will be links to each streaming platform where where the show will be available in addition to some fun content posted every couple of days to keep you thinking. If you are listening to this podcast, I encourage you to leave a review, to like, uh, subscribe, rate the show, whatever you got to do to follow along that uh, will really help us out as we get started here. And once again, I just want to thank you all for listening. I'm excited to hear the kind of feedback that you guys have. If you have any particular uh, questions or particular genres of trivia that you would like me to ask, go ahead, let me know, uh, comment, review, however you got to do that. And yeah, I will catch you next week. And I'm excited to uh, make this thing happen for everybody. Take care.